Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. My name is Jeff Tuba, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen in. Please take some additional time to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes. And we also ask if you could rate our podcast as well. We know everyone has a busy schedule, so we're glad we can give you some restaurant insights that you can listen to in a to-go type fashion. If you've been listening to our podcast since we launched about a year ago, we've had a, a number of guests talking about the industry from all types of angles. Well, today we're going to add another perspective, but this time from the back of the house. I'm extremely excited to welcome Chef Richard Rosendale to the podcast today. Uh, Rich's resume is long and distinguished, so I'll just highlight a few things. Uh, so Rich attended culinary school and he trained in Norway, Germany, Luxembourg, France, Switzerland, Northern Italy, and some of the finest kitchens here in the U.S., including a six-year apprenticeship under seven certified master chefs. Uh, Rich completed a 130-hour cooking exam, and he earned the title Certified Master Chef for himself. He became the youngest member appointed to the American Culinary Federation Team USA since the team's inception, and he was actually awarded a presidential medallion for his contribution to the culinary arts. As one of only five chefs to represent the United States in the 2004 Culinary Olympics, the team ranked number one in the world for the hot kitchen, beating 32 countries. Chef Rosendale earned three gold medals, serving as the team captain for the 2008 USA Culinary Olympics team. And his career highlight, he was chosen as one of only eight U.S. finalists from over 300 across the country in the prestigious Bocuse d'Or USA semifinals, winning the silver medal. Needless to say, Rich knows his way around the kitchen. All right, well, Rich, we're, we're very excited to have you with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, it's my pleasure to spend some time talking with you as well. So, Rich, take us back to the beginning of your career. You know, give us some background. You know, why did you become a chef? And maybe tell us about your first experience in the kitchen. Well, I uh, I think I kind of started cooking mostly because I grew up around a lot of food, uh, like a lot of people. Uh, I've had two great grandmothers, one Italian and one German, and uh, they kind of nurtured my love for cooking at a very early stage. And it really kind of started off as I just loved to eat, and I always looked forward to dinner time. And uh, when it when I was in high school, I was very, always very fickle in my interest, and and really I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, my mom, I liked, actually took a home ec home ec class and. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a, it was an outlet for some creativity. Uh, and then my mom said, you know, whenever I was graduating, let's take you to some culinary schools. And I mean, after that, once I got into cooking and I got into culinary school, really my career, like one door had kind of opened up to another one and cooking has taken me all over the world. It's really just been, it's been absolutely remarkable. You know, I, I I remember home ec in high school. I remember making stuffed shells, and I went home and made them. But obviously, uh, they must not have been quite as good as what you were you were you were putting out <laughs> to get, to go into that. So, um, but Rich, I guess 
your first experience in the in the kitchen somewhere was it overwhelming for you was it you know hey i've trained for this i'm ready for this i guess where were you at with your with your first experience um i actually uh, got a job working at the watering trough it was like a small restaurant um that was inside uh uniontown pennsylvania like where i grew up and i was like i was intense i mean i was like and i always had a strong work ethic and well, I mean, I would say I had a strong work ethic, like when it came to things that I liked. Um, I was not as good of a paper boy uh, as I was, you know, uh, a busser uh, because I loved cooking and I was excited to be able to get into the kitchen and anything restaurant related. When I got my first job, obviously starting off busing tables and eventually doing dishes, I attacked everything. And um you know, I just was always looking to like what was going to be the next challenge in the kitchen. But that was my first job. And then I went on to uh, Nemecon Woodlands Resort, and I was very fortunate that I was able to do a three-year apprenticeship program there. Uh, I was uh, an apprentice at Westmoreland County Community College, had some amazing instructors there. And uh, I guess one of the things that was a little bit of a detour that most uh, most people we look at after they complete a three-year apprenticeship program that they'd say, hey, I'm ready to go and get my executive chef job and, and dive into the industry. Well, I actually, the very next day, embarked on another three-year apprenticeship, and I went down to the Greenbrier Resort, and I started their apprenticeship program, which was which was more advanced than the one that I had been in um, just, just prior to the Westmoreland one. And it sounds like this is something you realized early on wasn't a quote-unquote job. You know, this was something you were passionate about that you wanted to live out every day. And I think a lot of people search for that, you know, trying to find something they were good at and passionate about. And it sounds like you found that pretty early on. I did. I mean, I I think, you know, I, I think a lot of times people kind of use the phrase like, you know, find your passion. And um, it's just I, I don't I think that's kind of overused. I just don't think it's that easy for people to do. I mean, I, I really had a lot of luck involved that. I was able to find something that I just kind of stumbled into. You know, I just happened to take a home ec class and I was like, hey, I really enjoy this. And I mean, it's it's this career has lifted me to just these incredible places. And I've seen I've met I've cooked with uh, people all over the world. I've traveled and uh, I've seen different countries, but it all kind of started, you know, in southwestern Pennsylvania. And I just basically worked really hard and uh, it's opened up so many doors for me. That's great. Well, Rich, I guess, you know, a lot of people are referring to, you know, the job market right now and labor challenges that companies are having and calling it, I think somebody quoted the great resignation. You know, a lot of industries now are trying to educate younger people about, you know, the benefits of the industry just to continue that pipeline of talent. What does this look like for the culinary arts and, and the future of the back of the house employment? Well, I will tell you, I mean, as somebody that operates multiple concepts, uh, including you know, restaurant, commissary, kitchen, an event space, um, a market, we, we do a lot of different things. And we definitely also have kind of seen um, a, a shift in, in the marketplace with, with uh, people being available for, for work and I think I've seen a lot of people on social media make posts and pointing out to the reasons and everything of it. I actually, I really think that we're going through a time now where I, I look in stark contrast to when I got out of culinary school 
it was very, you know, there was, there was only a couple of options. You know, you were going to go work in a restaurant or you were going to go work in a hotel or resort. And now there's a myriad of different options for people. So now there's a lot of different options that restaurants are competing against. But even beyond that, there are just the reality is, I mean, kitchen work is very hard and there are just more appealing options out there for young people, people that are getting into the industry. And they're saying, hey, do I want to work the hours that Rich Rosendell worked when he was going through the apprenticeship program? And frankly, I don't blame people. I, I don't I don't get upset or look down on somebody that maybe doesn't, you know, that wants to have some work life balance. Uh, I've changed my career as I've gone through uh, the runway and adjusted things so that I have more balance because I think everybody does. I think everybody would like to have that balance. But the reality is there's just more options that restaurateurs and um, chefs and anybody, any employers, they are competing against far more competitive landscape of options for young people and not even young people, just anybody in the industry. Um, it, it really is a reset. And I actually think this is a great wake up call where, you know, we look at this as an opportunity to say, hey, we let's change the way that we run our kitchens. Let's try to pay higher compensation and but get but be more productive by getting more skilled labor and using technology to be more efficient uh, with the hours that we schedule people and not do it the way that I grew up in the kitchen, which is you just hire as many people as you, as you need. And, um, it was more about just throwing a body at it. And that paradigm is not sustainable, um, in a, in a post pandemic world. Yeah. And I remember seeing you at a, uh, a restaurant show doing a cooking demonstration a couple of years ago and just watching you're, you're, you're moving left, you're moving right, you're over the stove, you're over this. And just, it's, I mean, I think you were breaking a sweat. I mean, this, this is not an, like you said, this is not an easy profession to go into. Again, there's the long-term benefits of, and the passion behind it are obviously worth it, but it's, it's hard work. It, it definitely is. And I will say that uh, a lot of times when I first started doing um, cooking competitions that I was doing it more for um, you know, the, the, the accolades and the, you know, uh, adding this to my resume and this is going to make me better. But as I, as I look back now, it really helped me be like a really effective organizer. I'm really able to manage, um, a lot more on my plate, uh, only almost like if I'm opening up a restaurant, uh, that can be a very overwhelming task. But for somebody that, has gone through planning for the Boku's door an international cooking competition while I was the executive chef at the Greenbrier Resort, which happened also at that time was going through a collective bargaining agreement and it was going through with, with the union and we were going through uh, the opening of five new restaurants, a brand new casino, a 44 acre farm, a PGA tour. It was literally, I look back at that, that year, those two years, and it was crazy. But honestly, it's 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 made me kind of who I am today, as far as being able to um, be disciplined in focusing on task and really saying no to some things. Um, but I think that cooking competitions add that to someone's repertoire, um, and you don't even realize it at the time that it really is kind of honing honing your skills. 
And I know even locally here, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and they, the Columbus State Community College recently built a brand new state-of-the-art hospitality management and culinary arts center. And I know there were a lot of restaurateurs involved with that, just seeing, okay, if we're going to have a future as a larger employer in the restaurant space, we need to help this pipeline somehow. So I think you also need some, if restaurants want to keep this going, you need to have some visionaries who say, okay, how do I help this pipeline? How do I get these, these young people in? And I think that's what happened here locally. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's happening at other places across the country as well. Right. Ab- absolutely. Um, and, you know, there, this really is kind of a shift where culinary schools uh, and employers are really going to have to reflect on the way that they do things. Because, you know, you can't apply the same uh, principles, even though principles are supposed to be timeless. I mean, we've had some major shifts and disruption in the way things are things are done and schools and employers are going to really have to look long and hard at the way they do things. I mean, we literally just did uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we just did the first ever uh, food delivery via drone in Northern Virginia. I mean, whoever would have thought. And I mean, these these are not things that are changing that are just little things. I mean, you're talking about major shifts in uh, the culture and the operation of kitchens and schools and employers are going to have to recalibrate in order to be ready for it. So, Rich, let's take a little shift here. So, obviously, if the food doesn't taste good, you know, all the quality service in the world is not going to keep a restaurant open. Can you maybe comment on just the importance of the back of the house and maybe help people who are either, you know, working for or with the restaurant industry to understand things about the back of the house that they may not be in tune with? Well, you know, I think that... uh... One of the things that I've seen, uh, I was having a conversation with one of the chefs that started the other day, and we were looking at menu prices and saying like, wow, we're going to have to really, um, we're going to have to really increase some of these prices on some of these items. I mean, it it really, we were really in like unprecedented times as far as like how um, the prices of things have really kind of gone up so much. And I, I do feel like that customers and a lot of people that are in, in the front of the house, I, I do feel like some people, a lot of people in the front of the house because they work in close proximity to um, the kitchen. I think they understand how difficult of a, of a, of a uh, job it is to kind of run, you know, the, the kitchen. But I, I do think that a lot of uh, customers, they, they don't maybe understand the complexities of a commercial or professional kitchen. I mean, it. I can tell you, and working in some of the most intense kitchens um, around the the world. I mean, over the years, from everything from the Boku's door to the Greenbrier, which was almost like a militant, um, very disciplined uh, culinary brigade. Uh, I mean, you're you're working long hours with sharp objects in extreme uh, high heat conditions with heavy heavy equipment. Um, you know, sometimes at the Greenbrier, I would be uh, cooking on the hotline, you know, work a double shift, and then I'd go and carve ice in the freezer. I mean, it's not recommended recommended uh, to do that, but those are things that I did. So I think that the average customer that comes in and maybe they order a, a cheeseburger or a steak, I don't think that there is a uh, understanding sometimes of what it takes to get that product to uh, to the table. And even beyond the kitchen is even the supply chain, how volatile that is. But, you know, we could 
we, we, we know that kitchens are really hard, but I think that we're in a time now where, you know, I'm not going to reflect back and say, oh, hey, I need people to feel sorry for me because my operation is, uh, it's, it's very hard to be a restaurateur or, um, hey, I got to increase prices because of this or because of that. At the end of the day, um, you have got to be um, thinking outside of the box. And how are you going to get through this kind of um, this this revolution that we're kind of going through as, you know, all of these things are changing um, with disruptors and the pandemic and supply chain volatility and prices it is really up to the operators in the kitchens the chefs to figure out how to be innovative and creative to have a better running kitchen and you, we we can no longer look back and say well it's always been that way i work those hours therefore i expect someone else should work those hours uh it it just is changing and i really think it, I, i'm more i'm more concerned for some of my peers over the years that maybe they're relying on the fact that kitchen work is really hard. That's not very marketable. You're not going to be able to attract people. You've got to figure out a way to create a dynamic, exciting culture in your kitchen. You got to figure out a way to bring value to your employees and to your customers. And it's it's going to, you know, you got to really look at long and hard at how you do things. But I agree with you. I don't think that a lot of people really kind of understand you know, that what it what it takes um, and, and how integral the kitchens really are to operations. But um, that being said, I think it has to evolve. I think it has to get better. The restaurant industry, uh, kitchens and chefs need to essentially disrupt themselves in order to be uh, more productive. Uh, more appealing as far as culture and wanting people to come and work there, um, or it's it's not sustainable. I mean, you can't just keep raising prices or um, offering you know wages that are not attractive um, because it just it just doesn't you know it just doesn't end well. So that's that's my maybe that's not what people want to hear, but that's how I feel. And I think again, before the pandemic, there was volatility. It's a highly volatile industry to begin with pandemic causes that to be like volatility on fire, right? It's Absolutely. it's all over the place. And, you know, you keep mentioning new ways of doing things. I know some people are simplifying their menus or just changing things up, just trying to find new ways to operate, you know, the ghost kitchens. There's just a lot of different things people are doing now. And I guess that segues into, you know, the last kind of big topic I would ask you about, and that's, that's Rosendale Online. You know, you mentioned we got to find new ways of doing things. Um, Rosendale Online, which you started a few years ago, says, it's the most comprehensive culinary resource in the world. Uh, can you maybe talk through what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, what can people learn from Rosedale Online? Just kind of walk us through it. Yes. Um, well, we we kind of took a different angle, and I mean, I guess over the years, I mean, I though I you know have been involved and am still involved in restaurants and uh, catering and a lot of different um, activities. They one of the things that I've always kind of held very close to me ha that I've been, that I've enjoyed doing uh, is uh, education and training. Uh, I think part of that is because, you know, as a uh, going through the American Culinary Federation's uh, apprenticeship program, and then also going through the Greenbrier's apprenticeship program, 
Um, I learned uh, so much going through these apprenticeships. And I've always wanted to kind of give back, uh, also being part of the Mentor Foundation with Chef Keller and Danielle Ballou. Um, I, I, I've, we've continued to do cooking classes, but for years, uh, we were doing these cooking classes all over the country and, and all over the world, really. And we said, hey, what's the next thing? How do, we, how do we scale this up and bring this to more people? So several years ago, we invested in Rosendale Online, which is a subscription-based uh, recipe uh, and resource for chefs and foodies. But we don't want it to be just a bunch of recipes. Um, we also wanted to add things on there that were um, insights uh, that I feel like are things that are relevant for maybe a young chef that wants to learn uh, not just, hey, how to make a soup or how to butcher a brisket, but also to add things on there like, hey, how do you, um, how do you build a brand? Um, how, here, what are some of the innovative ways of, um, uh, with equipment that we use, like some of the most state of the art equipment that is out there, things that are like brand new. I mean, we're, we work with lots of brands like, uh, Dryager and, um, PolyScience and all these different companies. And we feature a lot of their equipment on the website and we show, uh, our members, ways to use them. They can use them at home, but they can also use them in their professional kitchens. And in a lot of ways, it shows you how to be uh, more efficient, um, how to how to enhance, improve um, a recipe by maybe using an ingredient that you didn't even know existed. So we don't want it to be just like, you know, a recipe website. Uh, we want it to be something that is a, uh, a, a broad resource for anybody that's into food and cooking, both professional and uh, we have a lot of foodies out there too that attend our classes. So um, it's a great resource and we're always adding new content to it. I think that's great. Like you said, for somebody who's in the industry or somebody like me that sits there and says, well, I'd love to learn how to do this better and just needs a resource to just take them you know, down that path. So I think that's great, Rich. Um, so I'm going to end off with a few Rocket fire questions for you. Uh, okay. Rich, what, what's your favorite dish that you like to make? My favorite, uh, it's probably going to be surprising, but it's, uh, I still love making uh, red sauce. It cover it, it conjures up memories for me of uh, coming into my Nana's kitchen and she always had like tomato sauce, always cooking. So I, I still love making red sauce. I mean, I'm a certified master chef, but I'm part Italian and I feel like it's the memories for me that it conjures up that it's just, you know, you can't beat it. How about favorite thing you like to eat? Whether my you favorite, make it or another chef eats it or makes it. You know, what, what um, do you like to eat? Yeah, my my favorite thing I like to eat is I I love traveling. Anytime I'm traveling and I really enjoy eating a lot of seafood. Uh, one of my favorite memories was traveling through Pescara, Italy. And they were they, they my uh, friends that I was with. Uh, we all had football jerseys on, and uh, I guess this table next to us sent this platter of seafood over to our table. We were like, "What the heck?" This beautiful platter of seafood. So they all they spoke Italian, but we were talking to the server and asking them like, "Why did they send this over?" And they thought we were American football players. Well, <laughs> we weren't, but we enjoyed the seafood. And uh, but that's one of my favorite things to eat is seafood, particularly when I'm traveling. All right. So what is your wife's favorite thing that you make for her? 
My wife uh, will, she would start and finish with dessert. Anything, I mean, I started off in pastries, uh, but this time of year, she's been asking me about the uh, pumpkin cookies. Uh, and we, my kids and I actually literally went out uh, and selected some pumpkins here locally. And we are going to break the pumpkins down and make the pumpkin cookies from scratch. So that's uh, so in your house, it's not just about pumpkin carving. It's OK. We can carve a pumpkin, but we're going to turn that into cookies. So that, that's cookies. What a great experience for your kids. Cookies, pies. Yeah, you name it. All right. And the last thing I'd ask you is, you know, what's one thing a common person maybe spends too much time doing in the kitchen that you could give them some kind of a, a quick tip or something that you, you know, just a quick tip for somebody that just likes to cook at home? Um, you know, one of the things that people usually they stumble on is whenever they go, they, they get the ingredients for a recipe because they're following everything. Uh, let's just say they're getting ready to make a pie tomorrow. Um, one of the things that people really, I think they you can kind of borrow um, a, a, a tip from what I used to do during the Boku's door is I would always create for each recipe a little kit. And that was everything that I was going to need to make that recipe. And I would, I would set, I would wrap it up on some plastic wrap, set it out on the shelf. Uh, and then when I would go to make that recipe, I had my pie pan, I had my parchment paper, I had my roller. And I always tell everybody, it's like, once you start cooking, that's usually when people are like, oh, I forget a peeler. Oh, I forget this. And then they got to leave their workstation. So when you're getting ready to cook, whether you're going to smoke a brisket outside or you're going to make a pie just for a moment, just kind of close your eyes and just kind of visualize making that recipe and, and, and think about what are you going to reach for? What are you going to pick up and gather all of those things, put them together. And then when you actually go to cook, you're going to speed right through it, but planning, planning, planning for everything. It takes so much stress, um, out of, uh, out, out of the uh, the cooking and, you know, you're able to enjoy it with, with your family instead of being stressed out. Cooking shouldn't be stressful. Yeah. I remember probably 15 years ago, you taught me, remember you made a burger that I, you said, if you indent the top of the patty, it keeps your burger from shrinking up. And that's one of the most depressing things as you're cooking a burger and it's decent <laughs> size. And when it's done, it's like a third of the size. But if you just press down on that middle, it keeps the burger and it helps to keep the size a little better. I, I still remember that one. Yeah. And, you know, the little things in cooking are actually the big things. You know, I mean, sometimes uh, when when people ask me about uh, cooking at the very high level in fine dining or Boku store, I always tell them it's really it's not any one thing. It's the accumulation of all these little things that make a dish extraordinary. Uh, but, you know, even cooking a burger at home can be extraordinary if you pay attention to the little things. Rich, thank you for offering up your perspectives on the industry, giving us a peek into the back of the house. Uh, I'd encourage anyone listening, whether you're someone with a desire to become a chef or maybe you want to do some cooking at home, um, you know, check out Rosendale online. But Rich, thank you again. And we thank everyone for listening in. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. for listening to BDO to go past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com slash BDO to go or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate review share or subscribe to this podcast the views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO 
For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com/restaurants.